If you would, take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. It is our privilege and our joy to move through this book. And um, there's many been many topics through this book. The major theme of the book, though, is the church. And how the church is to function and how the church is so unique in our day. How God has called us out of the world and He has set us apart, not as a group of individuals, but a body that has come together working uh, with one another. And it's been a, a rich study to date. And uh, last week we see that Paul has introduced the topic of family and that will be our focus today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, we'll read a couple of verses. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be together today and listen to your word. We recognize that we are needy people. We, we need answers for our lives. We, we find ourselves lacking so often. But Lord, you are a gracious God who we can depend upon. We thank you for that. I pray that you would bless our time around your word. Lord, may we um, glean its truths and apply them to our lives. Help Help us to honor and glorify you with our response to the message today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to see the flow of thought in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. You need to see what has led up to this particular point. Why is Paul bringing up the family at this point? And we can go back to Ephesians 4 and or just remind you in verse 1 that Paul said, I implore you, therefore the prison of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. The first three chapters Paul laid out. The, the, the privileges, the benefits that we have in Christ and how Christ has called us to himself. And he then becomes very, very practical and says, now let's put these things into practice. And so we are to walk worthy of our calling. And the key word is walk. And then in verse 22, chapter 4, verse 22, he reminds us that we have laid aside... The old self, chapter 4, verse 24, we are to put on the new self. So we've died to self, and He has made us alive now. We are new creatures in Christ. In fact, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Paul's used that before. And then chapter 5, verse 15, seems to kind of narrow things down. He brings things to a summary. And he uses summary terms like, therefore, be careful how you walk. 
Be careful then. If all of these things are to be true about our lives, then we have to, we have to be very cautious about our actions, what we do, what we say. So he's, he's warning us. He's reminding us of how important our walk is. We are to be careful. We're not to be unwise, but we are to be wise, making the most of the opportunity for the days are evil. Verse 17, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, summary terms, larger picture. No, understand what your job is. If we're to walk worthy of your, the calling with which we have been called, we have to understand that and the will of the Lord. And then he reminds us then that we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit in verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And that's the dominant influence of our life is to be filled with the Spirit. It's the Spirit's control in our life. And the result of being filled with the Spirit is there's three things. Three things. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual song. Singing, making melody in your heart. There's, there's a joy there as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a joy. There's singing. That singing resides within the heart. And it's, it's a lightness of the Christian walk. We, life can beat us down, but that joy remains. A second uh, reaction or a second result of the being filled with the Holy Spirit is in verse 20, always giving thanks. Always giving thanks. The Christian people are a, a thankful people. They recognize how destitute they are and dependent upon the Lord they are. And so that drives them to be thankful. To be thankful. And then the last one, the third one, is to be subject. To be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord or in the fear of Christ. Verse 21. So these three characteristics of being filled with the Holy Spirit that Paul gives us here. Um, John MacArthur sums it up. Singing, saying thanks, and submission. That's very easy. It's easy to remember. Just three characteristics of being controlled, being influenced by the Holy Spirit. And the last one there is being submissive. We are... We are we are subject to Christ. We have submitted ourselves to Christ. In fact, the Bible says we have died to Christ. We have died to self. We have died to sin. Um, Christ, Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we've dealt with this submission issue. If you are a believer, you have submitted yourself to Christ. You have dealt with that issue. We uh, then, just on a daily basis, we continue to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and His dominant influence. And we'll see later that His influence is revealed to us through this Word. Now, why then does Paul jump right into verse 22, talking about the family? Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Because submission is a major building block of the family. It just is. Submission is a major building block of the family. Now, the world doesn't like submission. 
They have not dealt with the submission problem. They have not submitted themselves to God, the God of the universe. They have not submitting the, the, submitted themselves to Christ. And so they are still in their autonomy. At least they think they are. The world is just being consistent with the sinful nature. The sinful nature wants its independence and self-sufficiency, its autonomy. The sinful nature would say, I do not want anyone ruling over me. And they, we can even shake our fist at God saying, I will not have this God rule over me. I will be independent. I will be... Um, I will go my own way. Not knowing many times, not knowing that it is sin that's really in control of their own lives. Now, in the world, though, there's two extremes concerning this matter of submission in the, in the, uh, in the world, concerning submission with the woman's role. And Paul is pretty clear. He's, he's not bashful about this He's not pulling back. He's not, he's not saying that this is old-fashioned or this is, um, you know, he's not reluctant at all to make this admission and make this command. But we see two extremes in the world today of this view of submission. We see an extreme on the, on the, on the right, we would say. This might be in the, the Muslim community might be other communities as well but they have very little value for women they they can kill a woman at their discretion or kill their wife at their discretion if there is a if there's a problem they can there there can be murder women have little to no rights and you see you see that in our our day uh, you hear reports of that, and that's a sad state of affairs, and that's the that's their belief system. But you also see in a, another extreme, you see an extreme of uh, an egalitarian viewpoint, a unisex society that these people are are promoting women's rights to the point that every there's no distinction between man and woman. In fact, they would reject any kind of feminine role at all. They would want to take on the masculine traits. And they do not respect authority and they would, in general, and they would uh, rebel against any kind of authority. This battle, though, this battle of the sexes started in Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to turn there. Genesis chapter 3. We need to, uh, we need to understand how this began all this problem started now remember submission is a major building block of a godly marriage if we want a godly marriage we have to deal with this topic of submission genesis chapter 2 we see that man and woman are in the garden everything is good genesis chapter 3 satan comes in introduces uh, or or tempts eve with sin adam joins and they fall into sin. Christ or God comes along then and he begins to dish out the punishment. Here's the results then of your sin, Adam and Eve. And we see him dealing with the woman in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. He's going to do this. 
as a result of sin, as a result of your disobedience, as a result of your rebellion, you're going to experience this pain. This thing that is supposed to be such a joy in life is now going to be a painful experience for you. It's going to be a reminder of that sinfulness. In pain you will bring forth children, he says. But look at the last sentence in chapter, in verse 16. Yet your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. And what does that mean? Well, essentially what that means is that she's going to want to, as a result of sin, as a result of sin, she's going to want her autonomy. She's not going to want anyone to lovingly care and lead her. And you know what? That doesn't just apply to any, just women. That is for all of us. The sin nature wants to be independent. He does not want any, anyone telling what to do. And God is pointing this out to Adam and Eve. This is what's going to happen, Eve. Your desire, your desire is going to be for your husband. You're going to want that position. And in turn, he's going to, he's going to have to, to rule you. He's going to have to clamp down on you. And it's going to be, it's going to be hard. As a result of sin, then, this, this relationship that is supposed to be so precious, so good, so intimate, this unity that we see at the end of chapter 2 is going to result in the place of great conflict, a great bitterness, great hateful hatred. It, it, it could be devastating to a marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 even within the church, we see this feminine um, or evangelical feminist with the same egalitarian view. Sometimes um, they, they just refuse to submit. They have not really dealt with the submission problem and they will twist Scripture to make Scripture say whatever they want it to say. Now, there's some, sometimes there's, there's good reason there's an illustration of this. Um, just this week in Charleston, uh, I guess outside of Charleston, on the coming south on the turnpike, man and woman in the car. And they had several children in the back seat. And there was a, an argument ensued. And the man began to beat the woman. Now, she was driving. And it beat her to the point of unconsciousness, but she had, was able to pull over on the side of the road or, or maybe off to the media in some way. And the 11-year-old boy, 11-year-old son, tries to get out. Now, he continues to beat, he continues to beat the woman. And the 11-year-old boy gets out of the car to try to flag someone down to, to help, for, for help. The man drags the woman out of the car and has continued to beat her. And the 11-year-old boy, trying to flag down a car, was hit and killed. And we react to that. Men should not do that. That is, There's no place for that. There's no place for that. No place for that in Scripture. And, and we react and, and that makes us angry. And it's easy then to make laws and to, and to, to react in that in such a way that we, we sometimes then when we go to Scripture and, and we see the, the role that God has played, we think, no, that's too harsh. 
Now, like I said, there is no place, no place for abuse at all from a man to a woman. There's no place for that. Domestic violence. But also we cannot twist scripture to justify our own, our own thinking. We have to be balanced. Christians have to be balanced. We have no, we have no luxury of imbalance in our thinking. The world can be. There can be these extremes in the world, these extreme ideas of, of, man, uh, I believe in women's rights and go to the extreme in women's rights, or I believe that women have no rights at all. We have, we do not have that luxury. We take the Word of God and we submit our mind, our thinking to the Word of God. That's part of submission. We have to do that. It's part of submission to Christ. The Word of God restricts our thinking. We cannot just think and react and do as we wish as believers. God has made them male and female. He created them in different roles. There are differences. And it's not a result of sin. Sin escalates the problem. But there are distinctions. There are differences. And Scripture is clear on this. And I want you to... I want you to see this, just one quick little illustration. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Verse 9. And the illustration is this. Sometimes men cross over and blur the lines. Blur the lines of distinction between man and woman. And... Um, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 gives us, Paul gives us a list here. Or do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. It goes on. And it goes on and says, they will not enter the kingdom of God. What's the effeminate? It's those, those men who have crossed the line, who have tried to take on feminine characteristics. And God says, that will not be. That is not to be in the church. That, that is, that is, a, that is a, a great sin. And it's in the list there. So we want our men to be men and our women to be women. There's no place for blurred lines. And I tell you, we live in a society of blurred lines, don't we? We sure do. We sure do. Christians don't have that luxury. We have to think biblically. We can't, we can't join our extremes, our, our uh, friends in any extreme and back and forth at all. There are distinctions. There's distinctions. There's a, there's a different by design. God made us different, male and female. But there's also difference in roles and particularly the role of marriage. And that's what we want to focus on. Now, God has made the woman and the man different. And actually, uh, they just found that out, what was it, maybe a year, maybe two years ago. Scientifically, they've now proven that there's a difference between men and women. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing. God says there's a difference. God says there's a difference in the way I've designed you, men, 
and there's a difference in the way I've designed women, but there's a difference in the roles that I've called you to. I've made you different, made you different because I have different roles for you to play in marriage and in society. Now, there's three or four scriptures that I want you to uh, want you to note, and these are in your notes, the little handout that I've given you. Um, there's some distinct, unique roles of women. And I want to spend a little time on these particular passages. These are just some key passages that you need to settle in your mind of what a godly woman is to be like, what a godly woman is to uh, is like. The first one is in Genesis chapter 2. <laughs> Go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You have to understand some fundamental things here. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, just a quick verse, and we can read this whole passage, and uh, you probably should, but it would, it would be beneficial to, but let me just read verse 18. Then the Lord said to, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So man was created, and God said it is not good for him to be alone. He says, I will make a helper suitable for him. So you have this, you have the introduction to the feminine qualities here even before, even before, um, Eve was created. There's a few elements here that I just want to point out. God created women to correspond, and that's the term that's actually used. A helper suitable or corresponding, corresponding to Him. A helper. She's not to do the heavy lifting. She's to come along and just help. God has made her uniquely designed for that. And it's suitable to Him. It's a perfect match between the two. And you see that physically. You also see that in many other ways. Um, I liked what, uh, well, one lady said in our congregation afterwards, uh, after the sermon last week, uh, uh, reading the verse that God uh, God made man and says, I, I'll make a helper suitable for him. And she said, well, she had, he had to make a helper because he couldn't find anything. He kept leaving, leaving things around and he needed somebody to tell him where things are. That's, that's, that's about right. His focus is somewhere else. And she comes along, oh yeah, you forgot this. Don't forget this. You got to do this. It's a helper. It's a helping role. And she's suitable, just perfectly suitable for that. Turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. We'll just continue to, to kind of define this feminine role that God has created. And it's a wonderful role. It's a wonderful thing. Differences are good. They're necessary. They're wonderful. Diversity. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. In the same way, you wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if any one of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of the wife. Just by her behavior they see something distinct, something different as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So, so again, we're, we're beginning to define 
what femininity looks like. Your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair or we or wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable qualities of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. That's a wonderful thought. God loves femininity. He loves that role that she plays. That's a wonderful thing. Verse 5. For it is, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah. Sarah is a good example. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, guys, don't get any ideas there. Calling him Lord. That's that sign of submission. And you, and you, godly woman, have become her children if you do what is right without, without being afraid of any fear. Afraid by fear. So you begin to see that role that, that women unique, you are, are uniquely designed to fulfill. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 is another passage that we have to deal with, have to understand in this feminine role. We have to be balanced. I, I go through, I take pains to go through these things because the world says so many ideas. The world has so many false thinking, so much false thinking out there. We, it's just good to let our minds be washed with Scripture to redefine, to, to, to solidify in our minds what a godly woman looks like. Second uh, chapter, Titus chapter 2, verse, verses 3. Let's start at verse 3. Older women, older women likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. Oh, Dave read this earlier. Teaching what is good. Teaching what is good. So that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be uh, sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Focus of that passage there is the woman is to create a loving environment within the home. That's the focus of her ministry. A loving environment within the home. First Timothy, First Timothy chapter five. Another passage here. In First Timothy chapter five, Paul, the point of First Timothy is Paul is communicating to Timothy now how to conduct the church, how the church is conduct itself, and uh, the the truths that go along with that. One of the elements of that is a a list, a list of of women that the church should support. And it's these widows that don't have family to support them. And there are certain characteristics that these women should have to be placed on this list so that the church will support them. And I'm not going to take the time to, to, to list all of these things, but there's a few characteristics that I think are important in verse 10. First Timothy chapter 5. Let me begin reading in verse 9. A widow is to be put on the list, that's the list that we're talking about, only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, 
having a reputation of good works. Okay? Remember, take into account, we're, we're formulating this idea of femininity. Here's what she should have done in her lifetime, this older lady. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, if she has devoted herself to every good work. She's an industrious woman, isn't she? She, uh, she, her responsibilities seem to expand even the family. And, and it goes out to the, to the Christian community. And it's involved in good works. There's hospitality involved. There's assisting the, the distress. It's every kind of good work. So we can conclude women are to, to be active in good works. Now, we cannot deal with femininity unless we deal with Proverbs chapter 31. One more passage that I want to go through. Proverbs chapter 31. We won't go through all of this, but there, we will, there's a couple of characteristics that we need to, to point out. God's unique role for women. Now, men, you could say, well, this doesn't apply to me. Well, you might be looking for a godly woman. Um, another thing is you might be married to one and just not even realize it. So you need to, you need to know these things. You need to know these things. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, for her, her wealth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. That's a key part. The heart of her husband trusts in her. She is trustworthy. He trusts her. But look at her focus. Look at verse, instead of reading all of this, look at verse 15. She rises up while it is still night and gives food to her household. That's the focus of her ministry. Look down at verse 21. She is not afraid of the snow for her house, for her household. For all of her household is clothed with scarlet. She has prepared. And her household is ready to, to meet the demands of winter and the cold weather. Verse 27. She looks well to her ways or to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, there's a lot more characteristics here and you need to read over these. Just one thing that we need to point out, actually a couple of things that we need to point out. Number one is that her focus is on her household. And number two, she is industrious. She is very industrious. Now this is an ideal, ideal lady. And you find very few that would be perfect in every area here. But this is, this is a goal. This is what women should be like. Look at verse 30, though. Here's another characteristic. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the, the products of her hand and let her work praise her in the gates. She's industrious. Two characteristics that you cannot deny when you look at Proverbs 31 is that she is industrious and the focus of her attention is on her household. 
And she uses that industriousness to better her children, to better her household. And even that expands, if you notice, it expands even to her relatives, even to her neighbors, and those who are around her. That's a wonder. That is, it is no slothful task. This role of the woman, role of the wife, no slothful task. Now, let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians, now we talked about last week, the marriage. Um, marriage is God's institution. He made them male and female. Marriage is a gift from God to man. In fact, Peter says it's the grace of life. It's a wonderful uh, picture there. Life is hard, and God has given us this, this marriage to, to make life bearable. It's, it's much better to go through life with others, with someone else, someone that you can depend on, someone that you can love and be intimate with. And the act of marriage is the beginning, then, of a family. It's the beginning of a family. It's a covenant between a man and a woman before the God of their creation. The God who created them. It's one woman, one man, one lifetime. One woman, one man, one lifetime. Now, in this passage in Ephesians, from chapters, in chapter 5, verse 22, really down to chapter 6, uh, down to verse 4, the family is the focus here. And he gives us four characteristics, four characteristics that are the building blocks of the family. There's four, four characteristics. And submission is the first one that he deals with, that Paul deals with. But he's also going to deal with respect. Marriage is built upon these four things, submission, respect, leadership, and love. Submission, respect, leadership, and love. And you'll see these characteristics as we go through these in the next few weeks. Submission, respect, leadership, and love. And in fact, this is a wonderful picture here that Paul is painting. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the dominant control of the Holy Spirit in our life, that we can even do this. That we can even submit ourselves. The world is going to have a major problem with submission. And that's, that's really kind of what we see. And in turn, what happens then, generation after generation have terrible marriages. Terrible marriages. And the next gener- and that generation passes it on to the next generation. They have no skill. They have no tools in which to better themselves or better their marriages. And so it just passes on from one generation to the next generation. And it seems to never stop. Bad marriages are passed on, but good marriages can be passed on from one generation to the next generation. And here's what I would like. I would like for you to commit yourself during this series, to commit yourself to training the next generation, the next generation to have godly families. We need to do that. It's preparing that next generation, giving them the tools that will help them to have successful families. How to deal with this sin issue and the intimacy that we can have in marriage when it is dealt with. And it takes work. And you know that. Many of you have been married for many years and you know it takes work. It it, it does not just happen 
It takes something that we work at and we plan. And that's what Paul wants here. He is building the church through building marriages, building strong families. And this is important. We dealt with that last week. Now, here's what I want you to see in just these three or four verses that we're going to look at today. <laughs> that we might look at today. <laughs> here's, the, here's the main point. A wife's submission to her husband is one of the necessary building blocks for establishing a godly family. Establishing a godly family. And in turn, it brings her the greatest fulfillment because it's by God's design. God designed her in a specific way and to, to be fulfilled in this specific way. You, you, um, you adhere to God's role for your life. The specific question that we're answering in these three verses here, what is biblical submission for a godly wife? What is biblical submission for a godly wife? Remember, it's, a, it's the foundation, it's a fundamental building block for a family. If you, want, if you want a godly home and a godly family, this has to be included. It, it just has to be there. And obviously, it's in the control, it's in the, the dominating influence of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that Holy Spirit, there's three things. There's singing, remember? Singing, saying thanks, and submission. So the submission issue has, taken, has been taken care of. We all submit. We submit to God Himself. We submit to God. That's not me, is it? Okay. And there's three elements here, three quick elements. Now, I think we can get through these. Number one is the focus of the wife's submission. The focus of the wife's submission. Look at verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is a very, very simple command from Paul. In fact, you wonder, you wonder why he spends so much time on the, on the husband's and he spends so little time basically giving one command to the to the wife but it's a very simple command it's very simple wives be subject to your own husbands as to the lord you've dealt with the submission situation with the lord you've already dealt with that you've submitted yourself to the lord now do the same thing with your husband now, notice, wives, it doesn't, it's just not generic women to generic men, it's wives to your own husbands. We need to point that out. In fact, this, the word own is, is a possession, obviously. It's one's own property. And I begin to look this word up and I've just, there's so much to this word. Um, and it really is kind of amazing. The focus of her Submission, a wife's submission, is her own husband. There's a sense in marriage that you belong to one another. The definition goes on to say it's in contrast to what is public property. What is public property and belongs to another. Something that belongs to a person. Men, you are no longer public property. You are not just out there for the world to have. And in women, wives, you need to know, you need to know that that is your husband. What do you do with something that is yours? You protect what is yours. You guard what is yours. We have a world 
a world that is out to get your husband. Believe it or not. There's other women. There's pornography. There's television shows that want your husband's attention. And if this is your husband, you've got to protect him. Now, I want you to see this again. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians seems to be the place. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul deals with this pretty directly. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll just read one verse, but I, I just want you to see this. This is an important concept in Scripture. This is part of this unity. You are now one. You possess one another. This is an important thought. It's not like the Greeks and the Romans had uh, back then where the man possessed the wife. The woman, the, the wife, also possesses the husband. It's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. Wives do not have authority over their own bodies, but the husband does. Ah, yeah. Well, we like to... Yeah. Submit. I have authority over you. But look at the next phrase. And likewise, the husbands do not have authority over their own bodies, but the wife does. We cling to one another. That's the godly picture, isn't it? So, so that is your husband. You protect that husband. You guard that husband from the world's influences. Now, how can you do that? That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. There's accountability. There's, 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 uh, a, a lot of elements to that, but I just want you to be aware that as a, a wife, you possess your husband and husbands, you are not public property just out there to do whatever you want to do. You belong to your wife. Your body belongs to her. Not to just, not to just anyone. And she is to submit to him, to her husband, to her husband. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Now, now this is God's word. I'm not making this up. This isn't something that I'm just saying, but, and it, and Paul's not even making this up. This is from God himself. This is by design. This is God's design. So, wives, be subject to your own husband. Submit to him. The word submit there is not obey. And we're going to deal with obey when we get to children. It's a little bit different word. But this is a voluntary coming underneath. It's not that the man dominates you and forces you into submission. This is a voluntary coming underneath. I will voluntarily obey my husband. I will voluntarily rank myself under. That's the, that's the literal term, to rank under. I think it's a familiar term to you. To bring yourself under, to the, under control uh, of, of his control. Uh, to put into subjection. And it's as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Now, we need to, we need to flesh this out a little bit. This idea of submission. This idea of submission. What does it not mean? This is what submission is not. This is how the world perverts this idea of submission. Submission is not merely a concept just for women. Men may not submit in their role as a husband, 
but they submit in many other ways. They've had to deal with the submission problem as well. They've had to submit themselves to Christ. They submit themselves to the Scripture's teaching. They know what it's like to want to do something else, but say, no, I can't do that. I don't have the luxury of doing that. I, don't, I can't think that way. I have to submit myself to the thinking of Scripture. And so husbands uh, submit themselves as well to, to Christ. Submit themselves to the role of leadership. And we'll talk about that next week. So it's not just a concept for women. Submission does not mean that the wife becomes a slave. She is not your slave. We need to get that concept and just kill it in our day. She is not your slave. She voluntarily comes underneath Submission does not mean that the wife never opens her mouth, never, never has an opinion, and never gives advice. In fact, a wise man is going to what? He's going to seek. He's going to seek his wife's advice. He's going to go after her and say, what do you think about this? Is this a bad idea? Am I going way off here? A wise man is going to do that. Submission does not mean, here's another one, that she becomes a a wallflower. Now this is kind of like the counter to the Casper milk toast that we talked about before. She's not just a wallflower who folds up and allows her abilities to, to lie dormant. We know that in Proverbs 31. I mean, she is industrious. She is a go getter. She, she does things. She is productive she flourishes and men what you want to do is provide that kind of environment so your so your wife can flourish can that her attention can be um not on the the uh elementary things of life but her attention can be on helping so many other people helping her own household helping her neighbors helping her loved ones helping the church and uh, using those gifts and abilities that God has given her. So submission is not just laying aside any kind of abilities and talents that you may have. And then one last one. Submission does not mean that the wife does not, is inferior, that the wife is inferior to the husband. That's a concept we've, we've got to dismiss. We've got to put out of our minds. In some ways, the, the world thinks like this. The man is superior to the woman. You know what? We don't see in Scripture, when it's talking about the male role, that God is, it is precious in God's sight or pleasing in God's sight. But we do see that in the feminine role. We need to keep that in mind. We need to keep that in mind. Now, quickly, here's what submission is. Here's what submission is. Submission. This is a wife's responsibility to make herself submit. It's a voluntary submission. So submission is voluntary. It's something that she places herself under her husband. For the good of all. Because it's God's place. It's God's role for her. Another one. The wife... The wife's submission is to be continuous. 
It's to be continuous. It's on everything. She doesn't pick and choose. It's to be continuous. Wife submission is mandatory. It's not optional. And we'll see why in just a minute. It's not optional. It's not something that she says, oh, well, I don't really care to be submissive in that area. It's mandatory. Wifely submission, and this is good, wifely submission is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. It's not a battle between you and your husband. No, it's a spiritual issue. It's a battle between you and the Lord. And that's where the, that's where the battle needs to lie. That's where the battle needs to be identified. Yes, I am, I am having trouble submitting to this man because I'm having trouble submitting to God himself, to the Lord. It's a spiritual issue. Men, if you are not submitting to your, your, submitting yourself to Christ, that's a spiritual issue as well. If you're not submitting your, your uh, self to Christ in the area of your responsibilities, you're not being submissive to Christ and what Christ has told you to do. Spiritual issue. Spiritual matters. Another one. Submission is, submission is a positive thing, not a negative thing. That's why Paul is not embarrassed to bring this up. And it was being abused in the Roman society. At, at Paul's time, it was. It's very interesting because you do some reading and you find that divorce was, was really unheard of in the Roman society. I mean, it, it was there and they could get divorced. But, uh, and you think, wow, that's, that's wonderful. That's great. They didn't believe in divorce. Well, they didn't need them. They had a woman that had a wife that they thought very little of, but she was the she was the um, the consummate wife. She did all of the wifely duties. She ran the home. She did the children. She did all of those things. But she had they had their little concubines on the side, many of them, and that was okay. That was uh, so. So really, their view of women were very very low. And so Paul, he could have just said, just done away with this idea. But no, he had to put this in there because this is, this is biblical. But it's not a, a, it's not a negative thing. This is a positive thing. In fact, the way the world looks at it today, and, and here's what we have. We have a world whose ego is on steroids. That's just the way it is. It is all about the I. It is all about my independence, my autonomy, my self-sufficiency. And in that kind of environment, submission is not going to be welcomed, is it? It's not. And the Christian is going to go, go counter to what the world says. But remember, the submission, it's, it's just... It's, uh, our, our independence is just very consistent with the sinful nature. And that's what you see with the world. Christians are, are to be different. Christians are to be different. Submission involves the wife's attitude as well as her actions. You can do the right thing on the outside. Oh, I'm submitting, but boy, I'm just not very happy. That's an inward that's the spiritual battle, isn't it? That's, the, that's that inward battle, that spiritual battle. 
It's a battle with the Lord. Wives' submission is uh, to be extensive. Extensive. She doesn't just say, okay, you tell me your plan and I'll see if I'll submit to it. She doesn't say, okay, well, if it makes sense to me, then I'll submit to it. Um, or when I feel like it, well, then that's when I'll, I'll submit. Or how about this one? When he becomes a godly man, then I'll submit to him. Or when he takes the lead, then I'll submit to him. You know what? If you submit, if you just constantly follow, he will take the lead. You're putting him in that position of leadership. Um, and like I said, it's not when you just don't do it just when he makes sense. And I tell you what, ladies, this is one sermon on women. We're going to have several sermons. We'll get the men back next week in the next two or three weeks. This is one sermon. We recognize, I recognize that men are not perfect. Men are not easy to follow. Men sometimes just don't make sense. <laughs> she was just saying what everybody else was thinking. So. But it's just true. We're not easy, we're not easy to, to follow. Sometimes we, frankly, I'll give you a little secret, sometimes we don't know. We don't know everything that we think we know. We don't know everything that we like to pretend that we know. And um, you know what? You're just to follow. You're to follow. You're to submit. Now, there's a couple of limitations, and I'll read these two verses for you, and then we'll, we'll call it quit, and we'll pick it up next week. What's the limitations placed upon wives submitting? Now, there's, there's those occasions, and we have to acknowledge those. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. When His, when his uh, desires, when His uh, demands on you are not within the Lord, are not fitting to the Lord, I think there's a, there's a limit there. And I think you need some counsel and you think, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Well... In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, here's what the disciples did. They were called in, they were preaching the gospel, and the, 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 the leadership said, you stop preaching this gospel. And here's the response. We must obey God rather than men. And sometimes those things have to be said. I, I'm so sorry, but I have to obey God rather than you in this point. And those, those elements can be done and should be done with grace and love and compassion. But they have to be done maybe, maybe clearly and drawing a line in the sand sometimes. Those are hard times. They're, they're rare occasions, but sometimes they happen. Now let's just draw this to a, a conclusion. Submission in general is a spiritual matter. And men need to deal with this as well. Are you submitting? Or, or do you just love your autonomy? Do you just love your independence and your self-sufficiency? Or are you dependent on Christ? And uh, let me just point out, ultimately, who's in control? God's in control, isn't he? When you're submitting to your husband, you're ultimately just submitting to your, your heavenly father. 
God is ultimately in control. And we simply submit ourselves to Him. And the question then has to be asked, are you submitting yourself to God? In general, men and women, but women then. The command in Scripture is that you submit yourself to your husband. This is a spiritual matter. It's not something that... uh, that anyone else really can deal with. You have to deal with those things. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, your word has spoken. Your word has spoken. And uh, Lord, help us to bring ourselves underneath it. Father, when it's counter to what the world believes, when what the world thinks, help us to be in line with you. Father, help us not to become imbalanced in our thinking, but balanced from your word. I know that this is an old-fashioned concept. It's something that we, we don't even like to talk about. But Lord, we recognize that these things are important. And to build a godly family, we, we have to have these elements. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.